Hello, and welcome to the podcast for the June issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. My name is Nikolai Humphreys. Today, to discuss some of this month's issue's highlights, I'm joined by the journal's editor, John McConnell. Hi, John. Hi, Nikolai. Right, let's get started by going over a study that I'm sure some of our listeners, especially those in the UK, will have heard of because it was widely reported in the media. The paper concerns the detection of latent TB with implications for cost-effective screening. Can I start by asking you, how is TB screening currently done upon entry into the UK? Okay, so what this paper is looking at is an effective method of screening for immigrants coming into the UK. So these are people who are going to be long-term residents in the UK. At the moment, that screening is done by x-ray of adults up to the age of 35 who are coming from countries with a high incidence of TB, so 500 or more cases per 100,000 population, which is mostly sub-Saharan Africa, and also there are certain subgroups from other countries with a slightly lower incidence of TB, which are also screened. This paper did cause waves, not just in the UK, but also in India as well, where we had accusations of racism, because this, what this paper does is it suggests that uh, people coming from India who are, going, who are going to be immigrating to the UK should also be included in screening programmes. Now, before we get into the, the details of the paper, I, I should just point out that I, I do reject any suggestion of racism here. What this paper is saying is there is a much better way of screening people coming into the UK. There is absolutely no... No suggestion whatsoever that people who are screened and are positive for the test being proposed here will in any way be excluded from entering the UK. In fact, it it must be said that these people will actually receive treatment for their latent TB. So what this new screening protocol is, is suggesting is better finding ways of people who have latent TB and then managing their TB once they have entered into the UK. So this study aims to identify a subpopulation of immigrants with latent TB. Why is this important and could you summarise the approach of the study? Well, with the current screening method, which is just X-ray alone, all the X-ray does is pick up on active TB. And of course, most people who have any sort of TB don't have active TB. They have no what's known as latent TB, and that cannot be detected by X-ray. So what this screening method uh, uses is something called an interferon gamma release assay, uh, which can pick up latent TB. I think the real problem here is that according to the findings of this research, the current screening policy misses around 20, uh, sorry, around 71% uh, of latent TB cases. And there is a good potential, there's a high potential that people with latent TB, once they've entered the UK or any other country into which they're immigrating, will go on to develop full-blown TB. So it's, it's valuable not just for the population of the country they're entering, but for the individuals themselves to have their latent TB identified and have that treated. Thanks, John. Could you also summarise the key results and implications for cost-effective screening? Well, what the authors in this study are suggesting is that all immigrants aged under 35 years from countries with a TB incidence as low as 150 per 100,000 population should be followed up once they've entered into the UK with three months of treatment with isoniazid and rifampicin. And they reckon this is a cost-effective way of preventing the current epidemic of rising TB, which is happening in the UK. Reading the accompanying comment, it's clear that the comment authors are cautious in their interpretation of this study, though. 
Why exactly is this? Well, they do say they do think that the cost-effectiveness estimates may be over-optimistic in terms of the number of immigrants who would accept and complete treatment. There will be no compulsion on the on the immigrants uh, if they were found to be positive for latent TB to actually take their treatment. The commentary authors are also cautious in terms of the cost of the actual rolling out of a, of a full-scale program. They, of course, make, the, I think, the very valuable point that people who are not screened now and even under the new proposals would continue not to be screened who may well bring uh, latent TB into the UK include short-term visitors, students, temporary workers and of course illegal immigrants about whose health status we know very little. Moving on to another paper in the June issue, this time about enteric fever. Here, a randomised trial assessed a newer generation of antibiotic for the treatment of enteric fever. Right, so how serious a problem is enteric fever in the first place and what are its characteristics? So enteric fever would include things like typhoid. So uh, this is an infection. It's transmitted by food and water. It's caused by various species of the bacteria Salmonella. Personally, I've actually had it once on uh, on holiday in Turkey, and it's a pretty unpleasant thing. You have a very high fever. You have uh, you have diarrhoea. It really lays you low. But more important than me is uh, it affects an estimated 26 million individuals worldwide every year, and there are supposed to be around 200,000 deaths per year. It has particularly high incidence in parts of South Asia and it it can be a particular problem amongst children. Right, so what's the aim of this trial? Presumably to assess a newer generation antibiotic because of resistance to the older antimicrobials. That's a, that's a good summary, but there's a slightly more complicated picture. So the standard of treatment uh, until the 1990s was a drug called, an antibiotic called chloramphenicol. However, there was um, growing resistance developed to chloramphenicol, and it was kind of dropped as the first-line treatment. And the quinolone antibiotics, which is drugs such as ciprofloxacin, uh, became the favoured first-line treatment. But in recent years, there has been evidence that resistance to chloramphenicol is, is reducing, but resistance to the quinolones is increasing. So what this trial looks at is the original, the old standard of care, chloramphenicol, versus a new quinolone drug called uh, gatifloxacin. Could you just summarise the results and methods of this trial? Yeah, so it's a randomised trial, took place in Kathmandu in Nepal, involved around 800 patients who were randomised to receive either chloramphenicol or gatifloxacin. So that was 14 days of oral chloramphenicol versus 7 days of oral gatifloxacin. What the researchers found was that the drugs were equally effective in terms of treatment failure, so neither drug had a particularly high rate of treatment failure, that's a good thing. They were effective in terms of fever clearance and they were effective in terms of relapse rate. Both drugs produced pretty good results in terms of low treatment failure, in terms of reducing fever clearance, and uh, in terms of a, a low relapse rate. There were, however, more more adverse events, which were mostly mild, though, with chloramphenicol. So the conclusion, which I think is a, a very reasonable one from this study, is that there was um, no difference in terms of efficacy, but that gatifloxacin was probably the more favourable drug because it had required a shorter treatment course Uh, and because there was uh, less chance of side effects. Thanks, John. Finally, let's talk about the review of leprosy. It's not something we hear a lot about, but it remains a serious infectious disease with profound disabling effects in some parts of the world. What are the main epidemiological headlines here? Yeah, well, this is a review of a leprosy, a disease which, uh, as you say, we don't hear much about, but it's still very much around. 
20 years ago, the World Health Assembly resolved to eliminate leprosy as a public health problem by the year 2000. Now, that clearly hasn't happened. There are still around a quarter of a million new cases every year. These do tend to be concentrated in a few countries. Uh, I mean, there are some of the highest incidences are in places like India, Brazil, Ethiopia, Bangladesh. But there are even uh, an ongoing trickle of cases in countries such as the USA. Although it has to be said that overall prevalence does continue to fall. And the authors of the review talk about future priorities in research, prevention and treatment, not to mention the social aspects of the disease. Can you comment on their conclusions? Well, I think an important aspect of these disease is that it is actually quite difficult to detect. So by the time people are diagnosed, then around about a third of them already have the disabling consequences of infection. Amongst the areas for research priority, we could do with some better tools for early diagnosis of infection. Fortunately, as yet, resistance, this is a a disease which can be treated with antibiotic therapy, with a standard, well-established antibiotic therapy. Fortunately, as yet, their resistance to this antibiotic therapy is low and of no particular clinical consequences. However, there are also no new drugs in development, so should resistance come along, then there's nothing we can fall back on, unfortunately. It would be very useful to have a, in certain parts of the world, it would be very useful to have a leprosy vaccine, and I think a useful way of bringing that into play as a public health intervention would be to incorporate uh, elements of an anti-leprosy vaccine into the work that's now going on into TB vaccines. The uh, bacteria that cause TB and leprosy are, are closely related and it is known that vaccines against TB do have a protective effect against leprosy. So if we could move along the work that is happening with anti-TB vaccines and include elements for leprosy, I think that would be very useful. And I think a very important area, whatever we're talking about in terms of new tools, new drugs, new preventive measures, there is no good animal model of leprosy. So we don't actually have any way of testing these new interventions in an animal model before they go into people. So this is another area where work still needs to be done before we get rid of this ancient and disabling disease. Many thanks, John, for taking us through some of the highlights for the June issue.